Let us pray. Lord, as we open your book, speak freshly to us. Lord, illuminate your word that we may more truly follow you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus Christ, the living word, to whom the written word bears testimony. Lord, open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. The story that you perhaps have heard before, continuing a series of messages on the gospel of Mark, meeting Jesus in that gospel. And uh, now we turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that I appreciate about the Gospels is the honesty with which they portray the disciples. They refuse to whitewash the disciples' sins and failures. In fact, they come across as only all too human. In Mark's gospel, the the disciples are often seen to be spiritually dull, out of touch with God's intentions. Much of the time, they just don't get Jesus or the nature of his kingdom. Jesus rebukes them on several occasions for their lack of faith, for their lack of spiritual understanding. Peter himself, upon uh, whose memories the Gospel of Mark is based, comes across sometimes as a real doofus. He has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth. Of course, he denies Jesus three times. We have seen in our exploration of this Gospel that Jesus is always at the center of the story not the disciples. Actually, all this is a testimony to the reliability of the Gospels. For if these stories were simply made up by the disciples or by the early church, they surely would have cleaned up these stories to make the disciples appear in a better light. They'd come across, if it was all made up, as spiritual superstars. But again, no, Jesus is always at the center His disciples always seem to be lacking. In this passage that we just read, Jesus' blessing of the children, the disciples once again come across very poorly, and they show they misunderstand the nature of God's kingdom. According to the custom of the time, Jewish mothers made sure that their children were touched and blessed by a distinguished rabbi after their first birthday. So we can imagine Jesus passing through town, perhaps on his way to another teaching session, when several anxious mothers came and pressed against Jesus. They came, made their way through the crowd, pressed against him, 
so that they might receive the rabbi's special touch. And Mark uses a verb tense in Greek which suggests that they kept on bringing their small children to Jesus. I I was struck by this painting as I was thinking about this passage, uh, a painting by Lucas Krenak, the elder, who was a German Renaissance painter, and you kind of get a sense of how these mothers and children all kind of mobbing him, and I I counted the heads in this painting, 24, 24 heads, they're all pressed in around him. I think that tells you something right there. Jesus, I'm not sure if Jesus is too (laughs) thrilled or not actually in that but he's obviously he's tender, uh, kissing the cheek of that particular baby. And, of course, all these Renaissance paintings, you know, they're all dressed up in Renaissance clothes. So uh, just true to their particular age. Well, all this noise and all this commotion around Jesus really bugged the disciples who were acting as Jesus' security escort. The disciples roundly rebuked the mothers for their audacity in, a, in, a, in approaching Jesus in this way. Perhaps they were only trying to protect Jesus' schedule and his priorities. After all, they had more important things to do. Jesus had important people to see. Perhaps there were more miracles to perform and and more uh, lectures to give. So what were a bunch of noisy, squirming children with runny noses that they should command the time and the attention of their Lord? So those disciples spoke harshly to the mothers. They rebuked them, treating them with disdain, trying to shoo them away. And I like this picture of, of, the, of the painting. of the, Look at the uh, disciples in the upper left-hand corner. Not too thrilled. It's Peter, look at that. That must be Peter with the beard right there. The disciples may have had good intentions in wanting to protect Jesus from unnecessary interruptions, but once again they betray their ignorance of the nature of God's kingdom. Because despite the fact that they walked with Jesus about, well, more than two years, they heard him teach on many occasions, they watched him perform miracles, they still had not caught his spirit. They didn't understand the kingdom value that every person matters Yes, even small children. As far as the disciples were concerned, these children were not important enough to trouble the master. And that attitude incurred the wrath and the indignation of Jesus. Mark says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And if if you look at the Greek, the Greek word is very strong. Indignant. He, not only was he angry, but he expressed his anger in no uncertain terms. His anger directed at the disciples revealed at the same time his compassion for children and for all who are defenseless and powerless and vulnerable, those whom society might cast off as unimportant or insignificant or undesirable. With Jesus, everyone counts. Everyone matters, for everybody is made in the image of God and is therefore to be treated with profound respect. As Jesus said in another place, as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. 
Children clearly had a special place in Jesus' heart. In Mark's wording, he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. The, the, the Greek has a sense that, that Jesus took the child and folded them in his arms, which is why I've always liked the image, actually, of infant baptism, where uh, the, the pastor would take a little baby and baptize that child, and um, that child so helpless in himself or herself. Jesus, enfolding them in his arms, touched them and blessed them. So Jesus was a man with affection and with compassion towards children. I think you can tell a lot by, by, uh, by you can tell a lot about a person by how they deal with children. I think. Uh, w. C. Fields was once asked what he thought of children and how he liked children, and he said, "Well cooked." <laughs> he didn't care for kids. <laughs> Jesus' public blessing of children was significant in a day and age where children actually had very little status, they were given very little respect, and at least in pagan culture, were often cast off as unwanted. At one time, the father of a Roman household had absolute rule even over the life and death of family members. And that authority was finally curbed sometime during the first century. But the father, I mean, he could say, if you didn't like a son, he said, Go, could tell his servants to go uh, kill him. It was a Roman custom to place a newborn on the ground in front of the father for him to inspect. And when the father lifted the child, it symbolized the child's acceptance into the family. Weak, handicapped, unwanted girls, or another unwanted mouth to feed would be left on the ground with the implication that the child should be exposed. I don't know if you know about this practice, but <clears throat> exposure was a practice of leaving an unwanted child uh, on a particular site, a, a, a garbage dump, a dung heap, uh, and where the child would die by virtue of exposure to the elements or uh, would be taken by a stranger to be raised usually as a slave. Such infanticide practices were never sanctioned by Roman authorities, but they were not condemned also. In fact, the practice of exposure was recommended by many of the philosophers of the day. How different was Jesus, who elevated the status of children in the eyes of the world, taking them in his arms and blessing them. He may have had the world's most important agenda, but no one was too small or too insignificant to escape his loving attention. Last fall, you may remember uh, that uh, Pope Francis visited the United States in Washington, D.C. His motorcade was passing through, And a little girl by the name of Sophie Cruz kind of jumped over, actually was helped over the barricade. And uh, and here's what happened. Maybe you saw this. I don't know. I I think Jesus must have smiled at Pope Francis for following his example and, and showing care and concern for that one little girl, you know, actually asking for his motorcade to stop. The whole parade stopped for that one little girl. God's display 
for one of the least of these. And uh, the, the Pope shows that in many ways and shows especially, the, I think, the Lord's uh, love, compassion for children. In the biblical story, Jesus not only comes to the defense of children, but raises them up to the top of the scale of values by which a person enters the kingdom of God. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? One thing it doesn't mean is that we are to be spiritually childish, childish in irresponsible behavior. Jesus is not advocating childishness, nor is he advocating a childish faith that is not well-reasoned or thought through. No, it's not a childish faith that Jesus is recommending, but a childlike faith. That's what Jesus has in mind if you are to receive God's kingdom, a childlike faith. Now, when it comes to possessing a childlike faith, we uh, perhaps often think of a children of a child's innocence or purity. You know, children are so innocent. But actually, if you think about it, children are far from innocent. They are selfish and self-centered right out of the hopper. One of the first words they learn is, of course, mine, which reminds me of two little boys who are fighting over a tricycle, and both are trying to ride at the same time, and one little boy says to the other, you know, if uh, one of us would get off this tricycle, I'd have a lot more fun. <clears throat> have you heard, by the way, the 10 property laws of a toddler? If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. There's a toddler. Or about to be. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And if it's broken, it's yours. So when Jesus talks about being like a little, becoming like a little child to enter the kingdom of God, uh, I think we can think of some other childlike qualities other than innocence. Um, children uh, are wonderfully open and simple. And they tell it like it is. You know, they cut it right to the heart of the issue. They are without guile. They're without deceit. They're ruthlessly honest and candid. Uh, so, you know, I think every parent knows that... Uh, that uh, that a child, perhaps in the supermarket, will take a look at the, somebody next in line and will, will ask, why does she have such a long nose? That happened to us once, I think. 
He has such a wonderful, wonderfully simple and open kind of a faith. It's, it's alive to God, to the presence of God. I remember sitting in a church one day uh, at worship, and uh, there was a gentleman not too far from us who uh, had kind of a turban on his head. He was from India or the Middle East or something. And uh, one little boy sitting behind us saw that gentleman for the first time and blurted out, I think in the middle of a prayer, Mom, there's Jesus! I mean, oh, the wonderful openness of a child. I mean, they would expect Jesus to walk in at any moment, alive to God. On the other hand, we sophisticated adults, you know, we become so skeptical, we're not sure if there's a God or not. We adults are so burdened by hard, cautious skepticisms and and inhibitions and preconceptions that we have a hard time entering fully into the experience of faith, don't we? We're too sophisticated for our own good. If only we could get rid of some of those narrowing burdens. As Frederick Buechner put it, people who enter the kingdom are people who, like children, are so relatively unburdened by preconceptions that if somebody says there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, they are perfectly willing to go take a look for themselves. Simplicity, openness, spontaneity, we adults could use some of that, you know? But another quality children have is a spirit of trustful dependence. Children by nature are helpless and dependent, and they know it. They trust their parents to provide and to care for them, to give support. And so the kingdom is for those of similar mind and spirit who know they are weak and helpless in themselves and who therefore totally depend on on the strength and the mercy of God. They simply trust themselves to the love of God, and look for God to provide. They live more with their hands open than with their fists clenched. They are willing to receive. But how different were the proud, self-sufficient, independent Pharisees? They had no sense of need. God need not do anything for them. They were doing just fine. They were observing all of the rules. They were good people. They were virtuous. The trouble is, though, they had a hard time entering the kingdom. So, too, a lot of proud, independent adults today. We adults make so much of our achievements. We think we're earning our way to God's good graces. We think our virtues and our good deeds will get us into heaven. We pride ourselves in our particular status in life, thinking that we'll have even more status in God's kingdom. It's very interesting that immediately following this story of the blessing of the children, in Mark's gospel, we have the story of the rich young ruler who thinks he can enter the kingdom of God by means of a good life and riches that he has stored up. And that, in turn, is followed by a story of the disciples fighting among themselves, arguing who among themselves was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, thinking that their own goodness would guarantee guarantee a special seat right near Jesus. But receiving the kingdom of God does not depend on us at all. Our achievements, our deeds... Our virtues, 
It's not something we earn. Again, it doesn't depend on the virtues we display. We can make no claim upon the kingdom. There's an old hymn, Rock of Ages. I haven't quoted Rock of Ages lately. Remember these words? I won't sing. (laughs) Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's how you enter the kingdom, like a child who has no claim upon it. In fact, children really don't have any great virtues or qualities, except they're willing to receive. Trustful dependence on the mercy of God. The kingdom of God is a gift from God. And those who receive it do so in a spirit of trustful dependence, like a child. Children have that. They know they are totally helpless in themselves. They cannot make a claim on God's good graces. They don't have status. They can only rely on God's mercy. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you. And you know, when Jesus says, truly, I tell you, he says, this is really important. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We all come to the kingdom, and by kingdom, I mean God, the realm of God's rule, right? The blessings of the fullness of being in God's presence. Heaven, which is both here on earth, ultimately, and beyond the grave. But we come to the kingdom as children. The Lord wants to take you and me up into His arms, those everlasting arms, and wants to bless us. In fact, He wants to bless us this very moment. He wants us to have all the blessings of the kingdom. He so desires that you and I enter into the fullness of of life found under God's gracious rule. So let us receive His gift with childlike faith in a spirit of openness and trustful dependence in total surrender to His loving care. All you and I can do is gratefully receive. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to a God who loves us like that, unconditionally. Everybody matters. Let's pray. Lord, you bless the children, the mothers brought them to you, and you touch them, and you bless them, and Lord, uh, we now bring ourselves to you looking for your special touch and for your blessing. Lord, we don't deserve any uh, of your love, but you simply give it to us because you value us, made in your image, and you died for us, Lord. We matter to you. Uh, So, Lord, thank you for uh, accepting us, even though we are unacceptable. Uh, 
we make no claim upon your kingdom. The kingdom is yours, to whom be the power and the glory forever and ever. Lord, we are grateful. Amen.